and welcome to the third episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, The Kessel Run, also known as Garrett Bahanna. And this week I am joined by fellow writer, editor, and social media manager, Caitlin Dividock. Caitlin, how are you? I'm doing very well, Garrett. It's uh, it's good to finally get on the pod. I've been anxiously awaiting uh, these past two uh, um, episodes to try and uh, get you know, coming off the bench. So I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm excited to get started. Yeah, it's it's great to have you here. Uh, Jim, uh, you know, he, due to some uh, prior circumstances, couldn't be with us. But actually, you will hear Jim occasionally during the uh, Mike Rupp interview we have for you a little later on. We are excited to have Mike Rupp as our interview guest. Uh, Mike has come on and, and graciously provided some great insight, expert analysis as a former player, a former Penguin player, that is. And uh, we're excited to share that interview with you. Uh, but before we get to the interview, uh, we just wanted to give a, a little bit a little bit of some general thoughts of where the Penguins stand at the time of recording. At the time of recording, actually, they are currently facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. Since our last episode went out, the Penguins have had contests against the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens, beating the Golden Knights by a score of 4-2 to two and losing to the Montreal Canadiens in a shootout, four to three. But the shootout loss is probably uh, the second headline to come out of that game, thanks to the unfortunate injury of defenseman Justin Schultz. But Caitlin, looking over these last two games between the Golden Knights and the Canadiens, what were some of the bigger aspects of the Penguins play that have stuck out to you? Well, we can start right off the bat with Vegas. Uh, Vegas was obviously a much better played game for the Penguins as a team um, as a whole, even though uh, the underlying uh, possession numbers don't really reflect that. Um, Generally, the Penguins actually in in that game didn't play all that well uh, whenever you consider the scoreboard. I think, I believe the numbers in that Vegas game, uh, especially in in the advanced uh, category, were all in favor of Vegas. They, you know, they were controlling possession. The Corsi numbers were, you know, through the roof. They had a ton more chances and, you know, it just seems like they, or seemed like they couldn't get anything to fall. Especially William Carlson, he he had a pretty uh, decent game. So did uh, Jonathan Marcheseau and they just couldn't get any pucks to hit Twine. Um, But luckily the Penguins do uh, own a guy uh, by the name of Philip J. Kessel on their roster. And he just went off and, you know, scored a natural hat trick, um, all three goals coming straight in a row um, with his just absolutely lethal wrist shot that just, you know, Malcolm Subban being uh, the fill-in for Marc-Andre Fleury, who played uh, the game against the Capitals the day before, who was uh, sitting out. Malcolm Subban had to step in and he just he could not handle um, the strength of, of Kessel's wrist shot. So basically... Even though the numbers did reflect that Vegas did outplay Pittsburgh by, you know, a decent amount, um, the score ultimately uh, favored the Penguins mostly due to their superstar talent and and Phil Kessel just being a monster. Um, so I think the Penguins were really lucky to come out of that game with a victory. Um, I really thought that if Vegas could have gotten a few of their goals or a few, excuse me, a few of their so- shots to fall. Um, the game would have been completely flipped and Vegas may have won by, you know, one or two goals. So it's a good thing that the Penguins do have Kessel on the team. Yeah, I completely agree. And flipping the script a little bit, heading into their the, the game that followed against the Golden Knights, we pre- uh, previously mentioned that they, the shootout loss 
to the Montreal Canadiens, a game that really, looking back on it, really didn't favor the Penguins uh, in more ways than one. And we brought it up at the very beginning of the show. Of course, the scoreline losing to Montreal in the shootout is one thing. And let's be real. Let's not put a whole lot of stock into a 4-3 shootout loss in the middle of October. Uh, (laughs) I think it's important, obviously, to touch on the injury to Justin Schultz. Uh, As of now, we know that Schultz will be out for approximately the next four months uh, rehabbing his uh, I, I believe it was uh, a fracture of some sort. Caitlin, if you know more than I do, was it uh, a fracture in the ankle or or uh, so, uh, somewhere in the leg? Uh, do, are you familiar with what the Schultz diagnosis was? So according to the press release uh, from the team, I believe it came out, what was it, yesterday? I think the news broke yesterday. Um, uh, and then per Mike Sullivan in his uh, press conference, they you know confirmed that he did fracture his lower left leg. Um, I don't want to get I don't, don't want to assume and get into specifics, but lower left leg, you know, to me, uh, seems like it could be the uh, the tibia or the potentially the ankle. I'd, I'd say if they say lower left leg, it is um, just your your shin and calf area. That's what uh, suffered the fracture. So luckily. On this end, uh, Justin Schultz is only going to be out for four months. Uh, this could potentially could have potentially been something much much worse. He could have tore some tendons. He could have you know tore ligaments. Um, it could have been very ugly. So I think um, the Penguins should thank their lucky stars that this is only a fracture, and that he can come back um, within four months. Uh, he did go under. He did undergo successful surgery uh, the day before on Sunday, and. You know, he's probably just itching to get back. Um, so we'll see him, um, you know, in the dead of winter come back. And he'll be, uh, as of right now, he'll be ready for the playoffs if the Penguins do, in fact, get a berth. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's certainly uh, an unfortunate circumstance of the game that is played. Um, obviously, if you, did, if you uh, did watch the game, the way Schultz went down, it certainly... Uh, was not pretty, no matter how many times they showed it on replay. Uh, but certainly we hope uh, Justin rehabs as quickly as possible. Hopefully he comes back to full strength. And, you know, by the time he does get back, like you said, the, the Penguins should be in the dead of winter and hopefully, you know, still fighting and hoping to clinch a, a playoff berth. But uh, until then, I, I think the Penguins are going to have to move on with what they have. And fortunately for what they do have and have in terms of their defensive depth, it looks well. Let's just say it. It could be could be a heck of a lot worse. I, I think, <laughs> uh, given the given the circumstances and given the scenario uh, and the nature of the injury, uh, having the what looks like the, the really the sudden emergence of Yuso Rikula has to uh, alleviate some of the fears that that the Penguins might have for losing a guy like Schultz for an extended period of time. Having you know Yuso Rikula and Chad Ruedel possibly having to fill in. Of course, we we there's Jamie Alexiak and Oli Mata, Jack Johnson. I think this defensive group is rather solidified for the next three to four months. You know, I, I think they can take, I, I think they can take the the brunt of Schultz's absence, and I think they'll be able to persevere quite well. Actually, no, I agree with you. Um, both me and uh, another fellow writer, Adam Gretz, put out, you know sort of kind of like a cushion to the Schultz news where, you know, 
even though the Penguins are going to suffer uh, losing, you know, a top six defenseman, a guy who runs the point on the second power play unit, um, they do have depth, whether or not that depth is, you know, extremely skillful or not, in your opinion, they do have the depth so that they don't have to, you know, go shopping and potentially make a trade or bring someone up from the AHL do any of sort of those types of transactions. They do have Chad Ruweedle, who's a perfectly serviceable guy, you know, waiting in the ranks, um, who actually I believe is playing tonight uh, against Vancouver. Um, and I, from what I've seen so far, he, there aren't really any glaring issues other than the fact that Vancouver has really kind of dominated down low behind uh, Casey DeSmith. But, you know, it's first game back without Schultz. You know, it's definitely a transition period. You've got to get comfortable uh, with lines being switched up and, and roles being replaced, especially on the power play. So there is depth to be tapped into. Um, and there are expectations for the depth guys to step up um, and, you know, make sure that Schultz's absence isn't felt too hard. Um, I think a lot of those responsibilities do lie on not only Chad Ruido. I mean, he's definitely going to play the bottom pair and he's going to, you know, be his, you know, typical solid self. Um, but I think a lot of the responsibility does lie on Olimata and Jack Johnson, who um, Johnson, however, he, he's been decently OK. Um, he tends to have a few blips here and there. But generally, I think uh, to, to the chagrin of to of fans, uh, he's playing a lot better than what people expected. Um, there is definitely a, a level that he can uh, progress up into, and I think he will need to graduate into that as Schultz's injury, you know, uh, moves forward. But I also think that Olimata has to step up from what he's been doing so far. He, I think, other than maybe Daniel Sprong. And Cullen, who doesn't get as many minutes as him, he's very low on the totem pole when it comes to his possession numbers, his decision making. Um, I mean, it, it's gone to the fact where it's gone to the point, excuse me, where he's been, you know, banished to the press box sitting in a suit while, you know, rookie Yuso Rikula just, you know, fills in for him. And I, I think that he really needs to step it into a new gear if he wants to both, you know, solidify the fact that he was one of the, you know, most solid defenseman for the Penguins last year. He's just had a very rough going to the start of this season. So I expect him to um, play a lot better than he has because this team absolutely needs him to, or they will crumble. You brought up a, a lot of tremendous points. All, all we have to do now is continue to look towards the future. I, I mean, the Penguins were dealt this hand uh, in terms of losing Schultz long-term. And, you know, it, it's to your point, it's up to this depth of the Penguins defense to really rally together and, and try and remain as stable as possible. But that is the landscape of the Pittsburgh Penguins through the middle of October, uh, through October 16th, the, the date which we are recording this podcast. But we also know why you have tuned into this podcast, and that is for the interview of former Penguin Mike Rupp. So, Caitlin, if you don't have anything else on your end, we want to get straight into the interview with Mike Rupp. So if you're good, I'm good, and we can get straight into the interview. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. And here is Mike Rupp. We hope you enjoy. Our guest today played professional hockey for 14 years, including 11 seasons in the NHL from 2012 to 2014. Not only is he Stanley Cup champion, but he scored what stood up as the game-winning goal in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals in 2003 with the Devils. 
He played two seasons with the Penguins from 2009 to 2011, and those two seasons were his best two years in terms of goals and points in his NHL career. Please welcome, joining us now on the Pennsburg Podcast, Mike Rutz. Hey, Mike, how's it going? I'm doing well. How's it going with you guys? Pretty good, thanks. Now, you can watch Mike on NHL tonight throughout the regular season, plus NHL Network will feature the St. Louis Blues at Toronto Maple Leafs this Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Visit NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listing. All right, Mike, last year I was lucky enough to have a conversation with you, and the one thing that really stood out to me was that you said you didn't know how it would feel to have to play two long seasons in a row to win two Stanley Cups in a row and just the physical effects it would have on your body. And this year, the Penguins didn't win it, and they had a longer summer break. And especially for a lot of their faster guys who have played a lot of hockey, like Carl Hagelin, Sidney Crosby, Brian Ross, etc. How do you think they'll be feeling this year compared to last year? And do you think the Penguins' team speed might be better and just overall that their bodies will be feeling better, that they had a longer break, given what you know about the taxing time it takes just even when the Stanley Cup won? Yeah, I think so. I think that the, it's – you know we're we're creatures of habit and we're used to certain kind of regimens in the summer and following certain things by when the calendar hits x date you are at this point and then when it's another date you're at this other threshold so um when you when you go late uh and you win a cup like they did for those two years in a row you you kind of have to get off of that mold a little bit and it's tough cuz you're so used to following the same thing and um, you come into camp and, and you're you're trying to use camp more to get up to speed where generally in the past you're coming in and you're ready to go. So uh, I think that that sometimes has something to do with it beyond just the physical taxing job that, that long season plays uh, on your body. Um, but I also think mentally it's a, it's a fresh start. Um, you know, that team, uh, most of that team has experienced the Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh and to not have that opportunity and get knocked out of the playoffs earlier than planned, it, it kind of lights that fire inside you again. So I think those are things you can grab onto, and, and you see a lot of teams do after they, they have some disappointment the year before. Mike, your your playing style certainly lended itself to you know the, the the more physical aspect of the game, and and that leads me into my question regarding uh, fighting. And the, the purpose of the enforcer, it, it's no secret that, that fighting is certainly down league-wide, you know, as, as the NHL seems to be entering this era of speed and skill. I believe the Penguins, uh, as a team, had zero fights uh, in their all of their preseason contests and even so far into the regular season. You know, with this being possibly the, the last of the enforcers, per se, do you think it's possible that that the task or the concept of fighting in the NHL will just completely die off as, as the game continues to make this transition towards more speed and skill? Or is it possible that, that fighting kind of goes dormant for a little while and, and might make a little bit of a return somewhere down the line? I don't think it's ever going to get back to what it was. Um, I saw it in my career over 12 years in the league that it, it changed drastically kind of in four-year increments when I was in the league. And, um, you know, I don't see it going back. But I, I think here's the thing is that, you know, it's it's a league that follows trends. And skill and scoring goals and speed is certainly, is certainly something in this league. But there's also um, the more that these guys – and there's not really that many left, but the, the more when 
let's just say when Ryan Reeves gets to the point, so I'll, I'll characterize him as being the, the biggest, toughest guy in the league. When he is done playing, um, there's still value in someone who kind of is a bully on the ice, if you will. I don't mean that in a, a, a bad way, a negative way, as far as, you know, I, I've never been a fan of players trying to injure other players. Um, I mean it for from the standpoint of look at, let's say an example of Genny Malkin. He's, he can be a bully. And when he's a bully uh, in this league, he's at his best and he can manhandle situations, but he also gets a little feisty and he'll mix it up. So um, that's an extreme because he's so, so uber, his skill is so great, but you're going to have the guys that it's just going to, these guys that are playing kind of that role are going to be more and more skilled as this goes on. So you have to be that skilled to play in the league, but there's always going to be value in having a physical advantage. So if no team has guys like that and one does, that's an advantage. I think, I mean, I hate to use that as an example because of what he's serving right now, but Tom Wilson, if, if he can just cut out those hits that he got suspended for deservingly. So he is effective. He is very effective. And if if Alex Ovechkin or Evgeny Kuznetsov, if they had an issue with playing with Tom Wilson on their line, guess what? Tom wouldn't see another shift with those guys. So they like playing with him. And he brings an element. And if he could kind of taper off some of the nonsense and the Brad Marchand could start tapering off some of that, and there's a lot of value in what they bring. They're a thorn in your side. They know when you're on, you know, when you're on the ice, um, you got to know when they are. And uh, so I think that it's something that's always going to be there. And the more teams, you know, they might get to a point where you have less and less teams with a guy that kind of plays that role. But that one team that has one, um, that's an advantage. And I think when you see teams win with guys like that, just like when the LA Kings won their cups, and everybody's like, oh, we need to be big and strong like the Kings. And then everybody in that conference got big and strong and then now they kind of um, because of the Nashville Predators success and and the Vegas Golden Knights it's kind of going the other way a little bit and our team is trying to get faster so I think it'll go in waves. Mike expanding off of that speed and skill um, conversation do you think that there will be a place for guys like Tom Wilson and you know Radko Gudis and the big sort of bully enforcer type of role do you think they'll stay on the fourth line or do you think the teams uh, knowing where the NHL is heading and how speed and skill are at the forefront of those roster building uh, conversations do you think that eventually the enforcer will become more skilled they will focus more on their skills or will they continue to have that genuine uh, bully styled player because uh, Tom Wilson after serving his suspension he mentioned that he did uh, want to start changing his game he realized that uh, the way he plays is not the correct direction that the NHL is going and I just wanted to know your opinion on his comments and if you agree that those enforcer type roles will eventually graduate to skill. Yeah, I mean, but it's still going to, I think it's still going to be prevalent and still going to be valuable, but the players are going to be different. So Tom Wilson, I think that the the thing that a lot of people that um, maybe a lot of fans that don't see him on the day to day, he's fast. And I think that's what makes him, that's what makes his hits. So, you know, his sometimes poor decision-making is what makes his hits bad, but it's also because we talk about how fast the league is, but he's, he he's a fast skater. And so he's not only, you know, 235 pounds and he's coming at you downhill. So when you add that speed into it, I mean, a lot of the force enforcers of the past were not the greatest skaters. So, and their balance wasn't that great. I mean, balance is the biggest thing when you're throwing a body check, 
And there's some guys who um, don't have the, the, the biggest builds, but they're, but their balance is great. So they hit with impact and Tom Wilson has great balance. He has um, great strength and he's got great speed. Uh, I think that that uh, you're going to see more guys in, in the thing is too. He's, he's very skilled. And I mean, this guy can, this guy can put the puck in the net and he can make plays happen. So I think what you'll start seeing is more guys. Um, if you can have a top six guy that has a little bit of that sandpaper um, it's going to be because he can play there too, and he's skilled. And and so there's always it's just going to change. There's going to be you're going to have to play more and more. Eventually, they'll get to that point. But at the end of the day, if I'm uh, you know if I'm if I'm young junior and I'm coming in the league and I'm a I'm a big player and you know when I'm looking to, to earn a job and it's me and and player X against each other and we have the same stats, the same you know build, you look for an edge. And if I add a little bit of uh, a little bit of squirreliness to my game, a little bit of sandpaper, there's a lot of value in that. So um, you're always going to have it. It's just going to look a little different than it has in the past. Um, switching gears a little bit more towards the Penguins. As you know, uh, yesterday the Justin Schultz news came out where he fractured his lower left leg. Um, he's going to be out for four months. I wanted to ask you how you feel the Penguins are going to fill this void in the roster. Um, if you have any specific players that you think are uh, up to the task of filling in for his second defenseman pairing. Um, and then, of course, running the PowerPoint. Uh, because right now, the Penguins, even though they do have uh, the depth um, in Chad Ruiel, he's more of a serviceable player and not exactly a skilled guy. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, Justin Schultz has been fantastic since the penguins picked him up and he's really put his career back on track to when he came out of university of wisconsin that's what we that's what everybody thought i mean i remember i was with the rangers at the time when he came out as a college free agent um derek stepan and ryan mcdonough were both former uh wisconsin badgers and they were doing their talking to him trying to convince him to come to new york he was a huge commodity for for a team to pick up and he goes to edmonton there and he came out and, and he looked to be great. And then I think just the structure of that team or the lack thereof, it, a lot of the guys just didn't pan out the way that they projected to. And, and he got a second life with the Penguins, and he's been fantastic. He's going to be missed. Um, but I feel like we've seen this movie before with the Penguins. I mean, the last number of years, even when they won their back-to-back cups in 16 and 17, the, the decor was the question mark. And guys were pros, and they – played particular roles with the team and were very successful. I mean, when you think back when Trevor Daly or the Ron Hainsey acquisition, um, those weren't, you know, uh, you even had that Mark Streit it, it, playing limited roles. Those weren't big moves. Those weren't things that are going to really get your attention, but they were actually really good, solid moves um, by Jim Rutherford. And, and it made it where uh, things just worked out and, uh, and it was fantastic. I mean, this team has been very successful without Chris Letang at times, and you don't really see many teams in the league do that. So I think they'll be fine. Uh, the biggest challenge is going to be that he's a right-hand shot defenseman. So you're looking, well, what do you do? Do you have Jack Johnson and, you know, Alexiak, both lefties? Do you have them? You know, someone's going to probably have to play their offside, which isn't always the most comfortable thing, but then there's been guys that are capable of doing it. Um, they'll have guys step up. I, I think that if there is a silver lining here um, and, and not a great situation, it's that Chris Letang, 
I found at times last year, he had a roller coaster season, and I feel like his game was, he was trying to extend himself too much. He was trying to do too much. I mean, when you when this guy's playing his hockey, his brand of hockey, I mean, I might be partial um, to Tanger, but I mean, there's there's still to this day. I mean, I take Crystal Tang over Brent Burns on my team. Um, uh, there's, I mean, you're talking Norris Trophy finalists that I'd still take Crystal Tang over. And um, but the thing that where he gets himself in trouble sometimes is he feels such a burden, I think, to drive offense from the from the from the blue line that if it's not going right for him, he tries to do too much, and then it it backfires defensively. And I think over last season, Justin Schultz was getting a lot of the power play one time and he was getting the touches. So if Tanger's not getting the touches, he's trying to force feed it when he gets five on five. He's trying to play the game that he's capable of playing and he gets himself in trouble. Well, now Justin Schultz out, Crystal Tang should get all the touches on power play and any offensive situation. So I think it'll, it'll help him to feel his game a little bit more. And uh, hopefully Justin Schultz makes a full recovery. And so it's a shot in the arm to the team when Schultz, he comes back, but uh, I'm expecting big things out of Tanger with, with Schultz out, just like Schultz came through big when Latang was out. Once again, we're joined by Mike Rupp now on NHL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Rupper17. And Mike, you brought up a very interesting point when you're talking about defensemen playing on their offhand. And I know that's something fans like to talk about. They like to talk about it a lot on our blog. There's a school of thought that Mike Babcock made famous and has really promoted. He wants a left-handed defenseman on the left side, a right-handed defenseman on the right side, if he can help it. And to your point, what you're talking about earlier with Schultz out, the Penguins pretty much just have Chris Letang as a right-handed shot in their top six right now with either Jack Johnson's played the offside some this year, so has Alexiak, so has Olimata a little bit. Do you think that will be a big deal in this day and age? Because I know like to play fast, it's best to have a left and a right. But what adjustments do you think the team will need to make systematically or structurally to support that left-handed guy on the right side? And especially, as you know, the Penguins' top players like Crosby and Malkin and Kessel, they all like to play really fast and get the puck. So what challenges might they have here if they have a left-handed guy on the right side playing on his offhand? I think the equivalent would be for me if if I was using an analogy in another sport and I was a big baseball fan growing up. Let's say you're playing third base and then all of a sudden, you know, you're playing third base for three seasons in a row and then you move to first base. Um, it's different, different perspective over there. And a lot of your movements on third base are going to be to your movements to your left and you're going to go over to first base. And now you're going to have to maybe move a little bit more to your right. It's just different, the different ways you feel the ball, different ways you feel the puck. Um, are they capable of doing it? Yeah. Um, some guys are, you know, Ron Hainsey was really good at playing his offside. And, uh, but it takes a little bit of time. And I think that that's, that's the biggest thing is what you just said there is when this team's at its best and when this team took that next step and they won the cup in 16, they started getting more defensemen, Trevor Daly, that could, that could advance the puck cleanly to their forward sticks. And that's such a big attribute to have for the Penguins because that's their strongest asset is their forwards and their star power with, with Sid and, and Gino and, and, and Phil. So, um, you know, it, it might take a little bit of time. So let's just say, for an example, you have Alexiak playing on the right side. Maybe those passes aren't going to be tape to tape for a little bit. Maybe they're going to be Alexiak just making sure he's clearing the zone. So it's going to be a little more 50-50 puck battles. They'll find their groove. Um, the coaching staff will do what's right and who, who can be, you know, make the most seamless transition into that position 
they'll find it. It just might take a little bit of time. I think that's the biggest thing. It's just, it's, it's foreign. Um, you've got to play, you know, even just the way you open up um, when you're playing defense and you're skating backwards. Some, if you're playing the left side all the time, you're going to open up a particular way. And then when you're playing on the right side, you got to open up the other way and uh, you can't do the same, the same movements. Um, so uh, they're just, they're adjustments that, Listen, these guys are, are skilled pros. They'll figure it out, but it might take a little time to figure it out. Mike, we, we introduced you as, uh, you know, being a player who had his best, his two best statistical seasons with the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, scoring 13 goals in the 2009-10 season, and then following that campaign up with nine goals in the 2010-2011 season. But looking past statistics and looking past numbers, those two seasons uh, you enjoyed with the Penguins, looking back on them, what do you think your, your favorite memory was with the team over those two seasons you spent in Pittsburgh? Well, I, you know, the thing that was really fun about it is, is hockey was fun. And not just because I had success on the ice. I think that came in, in hand in hand with Dan Bilesma and, and Todd Reardon and, and Tony Granato made it fun to come to the rink. You know, I, that's what GM Ray Shiro uh, made a point of, uh, you know, it, it, hockey was fun and you enjoyed coming to the rink and putting the work in at practice. So that was the biggest thing. The big selling point when I signed in Pittsburgh was, you know, I was a career third, fourth line guy. Um, I remember speaking to Ray Shiro in, in July 1st and he said, uh, listen, the way we, we're going to go about it is we've got our top three centers, Sid, uh, Gino, and, and Stalzi. And what we'll generally do is we'll play those guys, and then, you know, you might play four or five minutes on the fourth line, but you'll get another four or five minutes playing with one of those centers. We'll bump the center down to the fourth. And I remember that year I had a, I got some time with, you know, it was me and Craig Adams would play the wings, and you'd have stall down for a, for a shift, maybe three shifts in the game, and, and sit for three shifts in the game, and, and the same for, for Gino. And that was a pretty good selling point. I mean, to be able to play with those kind of guys, um, the game seems a little bit easier, right? Like, I know that I have to do some dirty work and, and, and get the puck, but I also knew if I got open, I was going to get a chance. And that's uh, the, the crazy thing in the National Hockey League when you talk about players. Um, every single player from first line to fourth line to extra players, they all scored, you know, 50 goals <laughs> before they turned pro. Uh, they're all point getters and uh, offensive guys at some point. You go there and you got to find where you fit in. Can I score the, the high level of a Phil Kessel? No. So I had to find other ways to contribute. Um, but the fact that, you know, guys can still put the puck in the net, especially when you're playing with great players like Sid and Gino, you, you know, if I get open, I'm going to get this puck on my tape. And uh, that's what happened there in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I got some time. I remember my, one of my fondest memories was probably, uh, you know, we, I had a couple games there where I was scoring a lot at the beginning of the season. And um, I remember playing a game, I think it was against Colorado at the old Igloo. And, and uh, I, I played a, a few games in a row with, with Sid and Gino. And I was like, are you serious right now? I mean, that's like a, that's a dream. And you get to play with those guys. And, and the biggest thing, is you don't have to be anything that that you're not you just you're there for a reason let those guys kind of you know they're going to drive the ship just make sure you're you're playing sound uh physical play that i needed to play and um that was that was a blast being able to play with those guys and and just contribute on a in a different way than i was used to mike when we talk about the vegas golden knights and how their success story last year was something that no one expected with their start this year uh, being just two and four with only four points and down 
like eight spots in the Pacific Division. Do you see them uh, coming into a sort of sophomore slump or do you feel as though they still have the pieces um, on the team to put together another impactful season? Yeah, I, I, th- I thought that there's, it's going to, I didn't think their point totals were going to reach what they were last year. Um, you know, they deserved everything they got last year, but also you can't just count on, you know, you can't have career years for seven guys and, and expect them all to have career years again. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're on everyone's radar now. You're not surprising anybody. Um, teams have adjusted personnel wise and your division even to, to play against you. So I, I definitely think that this is still a playoff team. I think they'll find their way in uh, the playoffs. But the win to division, uh, that might be a little tall task for them um, to kind of, you know, to finish the point totals that they had last year. I don't see that. But, you know, that's fine. They're, they're a team. they they got to go off the experiences they had last year. But, I mean, when you look at it, how many players, um, you know, that we know William Carlson had the big 43-goal season. We know Jonathan Marsh, so became a became a star. Mark Andre Fleury was his career best numbers. Uh you can go on and on with that team. Eric Hollow was the regular now where he was starting to to play really well and Alex Tuck and, and they had so many things going their way. So you can't expect that all to 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 be duplicated in the following season. But I also think that they're a very well coached team and uh their experiences last year will help them. But if they didn't get to the start they wanted and I think this team will be there come playoff time. That's great. Once again, Mike, thank you for joining us, and we'll get you out of here with this one. Last year when me and you talked, we were talking about the Anaheim Ducks, the Edmonton Oilers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Pittsburgh Penguins, those type of teams in the Stanley Cup Finals. It's still very early in the year, but who do you see going to the finals this year? Or what's your pick if you'll put it on record for us again? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the talk of the – the league right now in a lot of ways is, is Toronto. Um, I still do think though, that the cream of the crop in the Eastern conference is Pittsburgh, Washington, and Tampa and Tampa didn't, hasn't really had the start that they were hoping for, but I think those are the, those are the three teams after that, the next tier, um, you know, and I feel like there's a decent little drop off there. The next tier for me would be Toronto and the Boston's and, 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 uh, you know, teams like that. But, um, so, I mean, out of those three, Oh man, um, I I'm probably I mean I wouldn't be surprised if Pittsburgh was in the finals again, but if I had to pick today, I I think Washington's Washington has uh, I don't know they're going to be a tough out, and so I think that they have a great chance of going to the finals. And then the West, I mean it's so easy to pick um, the San Jose Sharks, but. They haven't had the start they wanted either. It's going to take some time to get uh, Eric Carlson fully entrenched there. But um, I'm going to go with the Nashville Predators. I think that just from uh, – they, they bring back a lot of the same personnel they won the President's Trophy with. That's a very good hockey team. So I'd say Washington and Nashville if I had to pick one now. Mike, thank you so much for coming on to the Pensburg podcast and lending your insight and your expertise and all of those years of professional hockey experience contributing to our conversation. And uh, I'm sure, if not sometime in the near future, I'm sure we'll have you on sometime soon, maybe towards playoff time to talk and, and we'll see where the Penguins are come March and April. But again, thank you so much for coming on and joining us and we hope to talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That was NHL Network's Mike Rupp. Again, you can find Mike on NHL Tonight. 
on the NHL Network. Mike, really providing a lot of great insight and analysis towards really where the, the NHL and the game of hockey is heading. You know, will this be the last of the enforcers? You know, will these enforcers or these hard hitters or these grinders have to have to change the style of their play for, for lack of a better term. It'll be interesting to see, you know, where the rest of the league and how the landscape of the NHL changes over the next three to five to maybe 10 years. It's definitely an interesting concept to think about, Kate. Well, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation that sort of led into, you know, Tom Wilson's role, how he came out after he was given his, you know, massive 20 game suspension where, you know, he, he admitted that he does need to change his game. And I think that because of all the skill, like we mentioned in the interview, because of all the skill that's, you know, pouring into the league with, you know, speed and, you know, focus on, you know, puck work and, and things of that nature. I think that where the game is heading is definitely a more positive thing. And I think we'll, we'll see either those fourth line grinders get, you know, few and fewer minutes and then, you know, eventually have to change their game where they focus more on skill to even make rosters. So I like where the NHL is heading. I like that they're finally starting to realize that these types of players, you know, their predatory nature are slowly dwindling their way um, out of the league. Absolutely. Uh, again, a really fantastic interview from Mike Rupp. And um, with that, that will just about do it for the third episode of the Pennsburg podcast. Uh, before we get out of here, we just want to let everyone know that um, you can send any sort of information you want, whether it be listener questions or feedback or telling us how poorly we're doing with this operation. <laughs> send anything you want to pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, you can find this podcast on, I think, every streaming service imaginable, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Uh, I think... All major streaming services are covered. So wherever you, wherever in the world you want to listen to this podcast, you should be able to when it goes out. Kate, do you have anything else left to say before we get out of here? Um, nothing other than if you do want to follow me for all of my great content on Twitter, you can find me at uh, K-A-I-T-D-I-V-I. That is Kate Divity. Um, if you enjoy my takes, if you don't, feel free to just ignore me completely. Um, <laughs> but no, I've, I had a great time. I'm glad I finally got on the podcast um, and I'm glad to be here, Garrett. So hopefully in the future, I will make more appearances. This was fun. Absolutely. As the season, <laughs> as the season gets underway, we will ha be having a, a much more of a, of a rotation with yourself and the other writers here on the team. It was fantastic having you uh, here for, the for, for the first time, really, for the first the, the first episode that you've come on. So it, it was great to have you here for the Rupp interview. Uh, you provided some great analysis and insight of your own. Not too shabby, plugging yourself there for <laughs> making sure, you know, you get the you get the uh, the little bump in, in Twitter followers, making sure, you know, the world has to see your takes. <laughs> it, it, it is imperative in the age we live in where Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, they all have to, they all have to see your takes. <laughs> These takes are important. We are giving you, we are giving you fantastic content, whether it be through Pennsburg or through our personal accounts, you know, make sure you come and follow us. These takes, these takes are important, but yep, yep. Uh, never miss an opportunity. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but for Caitlin Dividock, uh, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for joining us for the third episode of the Pennsburg podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we will see you next week.